Okay, so we have to turn to the Bar Bishmul, the line starts Lamali. Gimel Amud Aleph. So we have the point now where we had a machloikas. What's that? See, the problem is Ivan's learning so many different Gemaras, you know, that uh, he doesn't know which year. Ruch Hashem. Kola Kavod. 3A? I think it's 3A2, somewhere around there. It says Tanah the Bar Bishmul. So the Ma'is are like this. We had a machloikas, an argument about the warning one's wife. Should one do so? Shouldn't one do so? Right? We had the opinion who says that the word kinui means jealousy and causes strife, and therefore one shouldn't do it. In other words, it's a last resort. And the other opinion says no. Right? There's a time and place, and you should. However, everybody agrees. You Shalmi brings Toisvah says that when you give such a warning, it has to be not through anger, not through messing around, but with awe. In other words, you do it with a clear mind. Right? And not that you're just coming as a rebuff because you're angry, etc. Now, let's go from Tana de Bay Rebbe Yishmuel. Is that all you did? Huh? Is that all you did? Well, I mean, this is where we're holding now. I'm not, uh, this is what we're doing now. Tana de Bay Rebbe Yishmuel. So we started this last time. A person does not warn his wife unless a spirit enters him. And we're not talking about. A dibuk. You know what a dibuk is? No. Possession. When a spirit comes and possesses a person, yeah? We're not talking about that. Right? We're going to see. We haven't defined it. Shinemar, as it says, it doesn't say that he warns her. It says it passes over him a spirit of kinna, a spirit of jealousy. The kinna is and he warns his wife. So ask the Gemara, my ruach, what spirit are you talking about? Is it a spirit that's positive, a spirit that's bad? What type of spirit? So we have a machloikas. Rabban and Amre, the rabbis say, Ruach Tuma, a spirit of impurity, which Rash explains means that it's when the Satan, the Yetzirah, is trying to entice you to make a fight with your wife. In other words, it's not coming from a pure desire. It's coming purely from the fact that you're angry and you want to get back at her. Oh, what happens if we bring a microphone to the husband and say, why did you warn her? Well, you know what? I want holiness in my house. So what do we answer him? If he says, you know, I'm only doing it for pure relatives. I'm only doing it for pure motives. What what would we answer him? Exactly. That's what you think. But that's not where it's coming from. Rav Ashi, no. Rav Ashi says, no. You know where the main push is? Ruach Tahara. It's a spirit of purity that hates immorality. And that's where it's coming from. So we have a machloikas between the two. What's that? Exactly. Because ultimately we all are cholent of different things. Often we get motivated partly because of ego, partly because we want to serve Hashem. But what's the main, what's the ikah, what's really driving you? Rabbanon say it's a spirit of impurity. And Rav Ashi says it's a spirit of purity. Feeling like such a from moment. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes a person gets very, very stark in his mind, but really, you know, it's not. And other times it really is. Other times he's really sincere. But I'll tell you one thing, one, clear from you, Shalmi, if it comes through anger, we can all say it's Ruach Tumah. For sure. Because what's angry gonna, anger going to normally uh, generate? A knee-jerk reaction. You did this to me, I'm doing this to you. You know what I'm saying? But it seems to be that the one, the one view... That's also 
correct. In other words, according to the one view that it's Ruach Tahara and it's a spirit of purity, it would seem to be that normally we assume that he's got good motives unless we ask him and he says, yeah, no, tuck, it was out of anger. But then you say Ruach is also good. You can also bring it as uh, for Ruach You could, but the reason why we don't is because Ruach is saying, as a rule, don't do this. Ruach is saying, as a rule, if you do this, it's good. So you're right. You can always you can always analyze where it's coming from and what's the main. But the question is: Is it something that we say shkoyach, or it's something as a rule we say not? But you're right. It's very difficult to ascertain. That's what the Gemara is arguing. Says the Gemara, but it makes sense that it's always as a rule motivated by purity. Why? The Sanya will bring you a brayse to prove it. The Kinyasishta he wants his wife. Machloikas Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva. Rashus, Divi Rabbi Shmuel. So Rabbi Shmuel says, you know what? Warning your wife is something that's optional. You want to, you can. You don't want to, you don't. Rabbi Akiva Oimer Choiva. Rabbi Akiva says it's an obligation. Now let me ask you. This argument, whether it's optional or an obligation, what do you think it fits more with? The opinion who says that normally warning comes from a spirit of impurity or it normally comes from a spirit of purity. What do you think it fits more with? Huh? Impurity. Why would you say that? True. But from this price, we have got one opinion saying it's optional, one opinion saying it's an obligation. What does that imply? Oh, why? Because could you ever think to obligate someone to do something that's wrong? You're right. So the doc says still from logic. Good. So I'm going to come to you. E. Amrit says the Gemara. If you're going to say, what's that? What are you talking about? We're talking about warning one's wife. And when he warns his wife, does he warn his wife because he hates, you know, immorality or it's because of ego? Where does the spirit come in? Spirit just means what's motivating him. Is it ego or is it, or is it purity? Well, of course, when the ego gets into you, so that's what we have to ascertain. If his wife is, you know, busy frolicking with a guy, do you say that when the husband warns him it's coming as a rule from a desire for morality or is it coming because he's upset? Love. What? Love. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. That's the machlokes. That's the argument. Oh. Says the Gemara. If you're going to say it's a spirit of impurity, it's Yitzhara, then Rashus Fechua of Achoiva. Does it make sense to arguing whether it's optional or an obligation? Right? So tell me, is Rabbi Kiva obligating you to bring upon yourself the Yitzhara? Obviously not. So the implication of the Braise is that it's a good thing. But we don't say it's an absolute proof, and Doc gives a reason why. Because ultimately, you cannot say always as a rule that when a guy warns his wife, he does it because he's being very frugal. That's also true, very much so. Today, anyway, it's rather academic because in today's time we say never warn your wife. Not, not in front of, uh, not even privately we say, don't warn her not to be alone with this guy. Rather talk it out and do other things. But you're right, in those generations there was a great loss. So we have this machloikas. Now, why not, why not, why not, why not? because if you warn her, 
We said before, if you warn her and Shitaka is alone and with uh, two witnesses uh, witness that, she's forbidden for you forever. Because you can't give her the waters to drink, so you're basically just causing a divorce. Can you can you work can this work the other way around? No. Uh-huh. No. Uh-huh. A woman cannot warn her husband uh, in this and to be a soita. Yeah, but the truth is, if, if a husband, let's say, is with, um, what's the word? If the husband is with another woman who's single, according to the Torah, that's not the same prohibition. Because he's allowed to have more than one wife, according to the Torah. This day and age. Not in this day and age, but still, it's less of a prohibition than a married woman. What's that? Certain Sridim are allowed. There's a famous Chuvah of Yosef. There was, a, there was a man who wanted to marry more than one wife in Eretz Israel. And he gave a psak that he was allowed to. Right? Anyone want to have more than one wife? No. Guilty? Well, put it this way. We don't have a soiter for a guy, because a guy in theory could have more than, one, more than one wife. But no, he isn't allowed to be frolicking with other women. No. But it's not as serious if he does. No. But if he does have relations with a married woman, and she would have to drink the waters, then he'll blow to pieces, just with, like, just with her. Same thing. Okay, so that's, okay, so that we have to discuss. That's a more general discussion. But let's go on to the, the Ica point. Okay, says the Gemara Gufa. Let's look at the source itself. Fakina is Ishta, he warns his wife. Rishus, Dever Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Shmuel said it's optional. You want to warn a great, you don't want to warn her, you don't have to. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says it's an obligation. Now, we're going to bring two other cases where we have a similar argument, where there are positive mitzvahs in the Torah, and in three different circumstances, Rabbi Shmuel says it's optional, and Rabbi Akiva says it's an obligation. The first one is warning your wife. Case number two, La Yitama, for her he needs to impurify himself. This is Nogaya Avi. But please God, it shouldn't be no God. But it talks about very simply that a Kayin is allowed to become Tomei for? At a, at a funeral for who? The seven Kraibim. And yes, specifically talking about a sister, right? He's allowed to become Tomei. That's right, the unmarried sister. He's allowed to become Tomei for it. Now, is he allowed to? Is it a mitzvah? La Yitama. Rishus, Rabbi Shmuel says you can if you want. You don't have to if you don't want. Rabbi Kiva says it's an obligation. So again, we see a similar argument. Where the Torah says do this, Rabbi Shmuel says, doesn't mean you have to, it's optional. And Rabbi Kiva says, you have to. Third case, now this is controversial. So you know me. I enjoy the controversial. Goes totally against modern thinking. There's something called a slave in the Torah and Evid Kanani, right? A non-Jewish slave. And the Torah says you have to work them forever. They don't go free in Jubilee. They don't go free after six years. The only time they'll go free is if you clap them and you'll blind their eye or tooth will fall out of one of their main limbs. Rishus, Rabbi Shemal says, you know what? It's your choice. You want to work them forever, you can. You want to free them, you can. Rabbi Akiva says, no. You are obligated to work them for the rest of their lives, and it is a prohibition to free them. That's how we paskin. That's how we paskin. We paskin la'aloha. It is also to free the non-Jewish slave. That's the aloha. 
Ah, oh, you'll say, does it mean the slaves in the Bible Belt in America? No. Talking about an Evid Kinani who has certain mitzvahs. You told him the mikvah and he keeps mitzvahs like? Like a woman. He keeps Shabbos, keeps kashrus. But it's a mitzvah to work him hard and it's a mitzvah not to free him. The only times you free him is if you smash something out all for the sake of a mitzvah of the public. Such as the Gemara says, there were nine people and an Evid came. They did a minion. You see how important a minion is? So his, his Rebbe was allowed to free him to make a minion. Because if you free an Evid Kanani, he becomes Jewish. How did he become Jewish? No, because he already went to the mikveh. He went to the mikveh. And Evid Kanani, there are three levels of people. There's a Jew, Evid Kanani, and a Goy. A Goy has to go through the whole process. And Evid Kanani already goes to the mikveh, already keeps certain mitzvahs. So to make him Jewish, if you free him, you write him a get shikha, you write him a document saying you're free, he becomes Jewish, doesn't have to toivel. Right, he becomes a yid. So the mice said, we're not allowed to do that, but if you did do that, he becomes Jewish. So what do you see? Also, this is the third case. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Kiva, three different mitzvahs. Rabbi Shmuel says, all of them, you have a choice. If you want to warn your wife, you can, you don't want to. If you want a matame for your unmarried sister, if you're a kind, you want to, you can, you don't have to. If you want to work the slave forever, you want to, you can, you don't have to. Rabbi Kiva says, in all cases, the obligations. I love that there was an article a little while ago in Jewish Life. Someone wrote and said, Judaism is against slavery. Shtuyot gomor. The biggest nonsense. Judaism supports slavery. Judaism encourages slavery. In fact, if some people would be enslaved, we'd have a happier world. Absolutely. It's not the same, correct. But the idea of making someone owned and having him work on behalf of Klaus Yisrael his whole life, is a positive thing. It's a positive the thing. The concept yeah. of a slave is that, I mean, you've got to give him your cushion, you've got to feed him. That's an Evid Ivri. The Jewish slave, I agree with you. But a non-Jewish slave, you're right, the Rambam still says, it's not the way of us to be cruel. You shouldn't be cruel to him. So, you know, like the tar and feathering and all that, we for sure would osser, or the bath cop, we would osser. But the concept of treating someone where he has to work hard the whole time, and that's his life, right? It's a positive. In fact, that's what Rav Hirsch says, what happened with Chom. When Chom was cursed as a slave by Noach, Noach said that for his passions and his tithes, he will fulfill his tafkid in this world if he becomes a slave. Oh, it goes against modern thinking. What can I say? I enjoy the fact that it goes against modern thinking. Because our head's got to go into the Torah, not put the Torah into what we want. Says the Gemara Vaita. Yes. Yes. No, if you free him, he's Jewish like you and me. And then the other thing with your. And Evid Meshukhra is a Jewish 100%. Yes. Your second case there. Isn't it like a Mace Mitzvah? We're not talking about a Mace Mitzvah. We're talking about a case of the seven relatives. A Mace Mitzvah, even a coin God, even a Nazir, he makes himself Tomei. Correct. That's, but that is a Mace Mitzvah. Yeah, yeah. So, easy, there's only any, there's no one else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rule is is that an unmarried sister you should take care of. But yes. Talking about you did like the oil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. That's true. That's the unmarried sister. But you're right. A Mace Mitzvah is even irrespective because if there's no one else to take care of her, you have an obligation to do whatever. Even if you're on the way to Shekhov and Pesach. You know, there's a beautiful Mice. Moshe Feinstein's Echetzarek Divrocha was called to um, 
to sign a certain, a certain petition against someone in the Jewish world. I don't know who it was. And he didn't want to do it and he was being pressured. So he sent a message saying, I'm sorry, I can't be involved now. I'm involved with the mace mitzvah. Got to bury someone who hasn't got uh, who to bury them. And what did HaKadosh Baruch do? He sent him a mace mitzvah. You see, a great person like that, a great person like that, Kodesh Baruch sends him. I know someone who's involved in mace mitzvahs a lot. Huh? Yeah. Hey, Keith? No, no, no. Meaning that Ramosha got a phone call. There's someone here. There's no one to bury them. Can you sort it out? He says, I'll take care of it. You understand? There was no one to pay for the funerals, no one to get involved. He personally went, took responsibility. Someone told, it was Brian Katz told me that uh, Rabbi Shlomo Weiner, he should be gesund and stark, should have a refuah shalema soon. And he's now, thank God, at least in a step-down facility. But he needs, he needs, he needs tefillahs. Shlomo Weiner, there was a guy who originally, he said he wanted to cremate himself. Uh, not a religious guy. And then what happened was Shlomo Weiner convinced him not to, but it was still in the world when he died. So Shlomo Weiner actually took, took it to court. Unfortunately, he lost the case. But can you imagine the mitzvah he gets for that? He took the whole, the family, whatever, to court. That no, he was choyzer, he retracted Kai wasn't Matzliach. But isn't that beautiful? He was Mamash Moisenef, self sacrificing to bury a Jewish person. Isn't that beautiful? Now, says the Gemara, we have three cases over here of positive mitzvahs. Rabbi Shmuel says, your choice. Rabbi Kiva says, you have to. Omelah Rav Papa Abaya. Says Rav Papa to Abaya. Vamelah Rav Meshar Shilarov. And some say Rav Meshar Shilarov. Different versions who say too. Laima Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Kiva, Chola Terakula Achipliki. Is this an argument between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Kiva with all positive mitzvahs in the Torah? In other words, is it a general rule when the Torah says to do something without using the word obligatory? Rabbi Shimon is going to say your choice and Rabbi Kiva is going to say obligation? Because, I don't know, three strikes and you're out, right? Three times over here they're arguing. So says the Gemara, Rabbi Shimon always says optional, Rabbi Kiva says obligation. So Amalei, one second, Amalei, you're wrong. In these three cases, they're arguing about psukim. Right? And we're going to go through the psukim and show you why Rabbi Shmuel says here it's optional in these three cases and why Rabbi Akiva says in these three cases it's obligatory. Yes, Keith. Uh, I just want to know why, but I thought we learned we have, everything that comes from the Torah mm. we have to do. Yes. Yeah. Like, like, somebody says it comes directly from the Torah we have to do. Like, yes. We can't make it optional, but it doesn't have the same level of obligation. Okay, how come, how come yeah. The Rabbi Shmuel can make this become from the Torah optional. Oh, very good. No, because Rabbi Shmuel says the Torah never meant it as an obligation. How can you say that? Because oh, he says he's going to show through psukim. Good question. The Torah is going. The Gemara is going to say. We have to stop you. It's the last night of prayers, and then please, God will. Bez Hashem, pick up tomorrow night on uh, the full...